Now, we are introduced to this Shunammite as a great woman. I don't think that has anything to do with her bodily size. I think it may well speak of her riches. She was married to a prosperous farmer in this rich, fertile valley. He, when the child died, was out with the reapers, so he was a farmer. And in this way, the, the woman was a woman of good, strong, healthy standing. And she was great for a number of things. And she rises to a place of great honor here because of her total dedication to Elisha. We're going to look at that. Elisha, of course, is a type of Christ. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. And today we have a, a wonderful message on a model woman. So men, call your wives and listen in here as we look today at 2 Kings chapter 4 on this Shunammite woman who was mightily blessed and served God so uh, effectively. We need such women today in the church. We need such women to serve Christ that they might be uh, examples and models to the many that need help from the Lord. So this is a great story. I trust you'll stay tuned with us right through the program today when we let the Bible speak from the pulpit of our church here in Cloverdale. We also move on to our Righteousness Exalt of the Nation segment and we come to another reason why I hate alcohol. Now, hate is a strong word, I know, but I do. I really detest the whole alcohol trade. I detest the whole business of people making money out of those that are vulnerable and foolish, and we see this evil growing and growing in our society. And as we have already learned, Canada is far ahead of nations in the consumption of alcohol. In other countries of the world, the, the brakes are on, the evidence is out that it's doing harm, but here in Canada, it, it seems that the consumption of alcohol increases, and it is doing untold harm uh, for health, in morality, and in the society life, domestic life as well, and we're going to get into some of that today. So stay tuned with us as we uh, bring to you the message of God's Word, and may the Lord in His grace meet with you and stir your heart. I always count it a privilege, of course, to proclaim the gospel, to bring you the message of the Lord Jesus day by day here in this program as we let the Bible speak. And may today be a word just for your heart to lead you to faith in the Savior. Right, our text tonight that I want to uh, focus on at first is Second Kings 4 and the verse 30. The verse 30. These are great words of the Shunammite woman 
who, when she is pleading with Elijah to come and raise her son, and she lays hold upon his feet, and she pleads with him, and she says, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. I want to use these words tonight as a statement of Christian commitment, a total, absolute dependency upon our Savior. There are many things that are taking people away from full commitment to the Savior. Distractions, things that could be legitimate, like this one. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, was commanded to take the staff and go and raise her son. But she was having no distraction here. She was putting no confidence in this servant of Elisha. She insisted that Elisha come, and she said she would not leave him until he would go with her. her. There are also many people who depart from the faith or just stop looking unto Jesus. One of the most basic exhortations to the Christian is looking unto Jesus. Keep your eyes, your trust, your hope, your confidence in the Lord Jesus. This Shunammite woman in this dire situation is to be greatly commended for refusing any distraction and for quoting these great words, words that should be written in gold. I will not leave thee. And we would do well tonight to rehearse these words unto the Lord, unto our Savior, and make this commitment, I will not leave thee. So let's go to the story and look at the many lessons that come out of this for us. Here is a story that is filled with drama. There is goodness, there is kindness, a child is born with all the joys of that, then there is death and sorrow with all the pain and the misery of that. And here is the rush to find Elisha. And then there is the abject failure of Gehazi, the servant who was sent with that staff to go and lay it upon the face of the dead child. But nothing happened. He never awoke. This all happened in the town of Shunem. It is in the valley of Jezreel. There is what is called the Great Plain, or a strip of land that runs from the east to the west along the river Kishon. And Kishon empties out into the Mediterranean Sea. It's quite a large plain, relatively speaking, in the size of Israel. And it was a coveted piece of land. It was fought over by armies for thousands of years. It was bought and sold and traded, and for land grabs even up to more recent times until the formation of Israel in 1948. This valley was the coveted place on earth. It has been described as some of the richest land in the world. 
a man called Lawrence Oliphant, who visited the valley area in 1887, he wrote that this valley of Esdraelon, or Jezreel, uh, as it is more commonly known, that he said it was a huge green lake of waving wheat, with its village-crowned mounds rising from it like islands. And it presents one of the most striking pictures of luxuriant fertility, which it is possible to conceive. Be good to go and Google and take a look at it, wouldn't it? And it is some of the richest land in the world. It would be like to us the Fraser Valley or to Egypt the Nile. It is the breadbasket of Israel. Uh, it's just a little south of Nazareth. It's quite close to Mount Tabor, which is that kind of mountain that goes up like a, a mound in the midst of a large open plain. And there is this little village of Shunem. It is about 15 miles or so from Mount Carmel, Mount Carmel being on the coast. And you can go right through that valley, almost following the river to Mount Carmel. And we learn from this story that Elisha traveled back on this route many times, and he was invited to the home of this Shunammite many times. And there he availed himself of the warm hospitality of that home. Now, we are introduced to this Shunammite as a great woman. I don't think that has anything to do with her bodily size. I think it may well speak of her riches. She was married to a prosperous farmer in this rich, fertile valley. He, when the child died, was out with the reapers, so he was a farmer. And in this way, the, the woman was a woman of good, strong, healthy standing. And she was great for a number of things. And she rises to a place of great honor here because of her total dedication to Elisha. We're going to look at that tonight. Elisha, of course, is a type of Christ. And as we think of her dedication to the man of God, to this prophet, we've got to think about our dedication to the Lord Jesus. Now, the first thing I want us to look at here is that she had a long history of confidence in Elisha the prophet. I set out in my little blank page to build a character reference for this woman. And I noticed seven major things about her. I'm not going to preach them, just going to rattle them off. Seven outstanding marks of greatness and dedication to Elisha in this woman. Let's begin at verse 8. We're told here that she constrained him, Elisha, to eat bread. There is that farmer's wife hospitality. Come in and eat bread. In a farmhouse, an extra potato is not much. An extra piece of bread off the loaf is not much. And Elisha 
took full opportunity and warmed himself to this place. He did it so frequently, and he was passing so frequently, that the woman proposed to her husband that they build a little chamber for him. It seems to be something like a loft, a place that he could call his own, put a few things in there, and she would furnish it with a bed, a table, a stool, a candle, just the basics, a place where he could rest, meditate, pray, refresh himself, and then press on in his business for the Lord. And it seems that Elisha appreciated all of this. And you can see the friendship and the rapport building between the prophet, the man of God, and this home. So we would say of her, she was a kind woman. I also noticed that she was a modest woman. If you look down there at verse 13, because after all the hospitality that was offered to Elisha, he sent for her saying, what will we do for you? Will we speak to the king, some preferment, some opportunity, some open door that might be given you, or to the captain, some military task, some enemy that needs to be traced down? Uh, what should we do for you to speak for you? And the woman's words really are very exceptional. Verse 13, and she says, I dwell among mine own people. She did not want some new position. She did not want some new career or fame. She was quite content, settled right where she was. She was a social being, happy amongst the people in her own locality, and she wished for nothing more. And there we see that loyalty in this woman, loyalty to her husband. He wasn't going up and leave a farm, loyalty to her community. That's where she wanted to be in a state of contentment. In verse 15, I note that she was a careful woman. It says that she stood in the door. That's when they called for her and wanted to talk with her. She stood in the door. This woman wanted to help Elisha. She was not there to tempt him. She stayed in the door rather than entering into the chamber. Now, I tried to picture in my mind the doorway, the setting, where there's stairs. Was it obscure, private, whatever? And it's not easy to do that. But obviously, this woman was careful, careful about her own testimony and careful about the testimony of the man of God. Then she was a blessed woman when she was given a child. She obviously had given up hope of ever having a child. But when Gehazi pointed out to Elisha that they were childless, that was the thing. And it seems that Elisha just announced. He didn't ask, would you like to have a child? He just announced, it's coming. This time next year, you are going to embrace a son. And all the joy that that little baby must have brought into the home, especially when they had been childless, their only child. And the cry of that infant, the paddling feet of that little toddler, the growing boy over the years must have been a delight to mother 
and to fathers. So it was, she was blessed, blessed and honored for her faithful uh, commitment to God's man. In verse 23, we see that she was a believing woman. Now, verse 23 is her taking leave of her husband to go and find Elisha. And she is asking that a servant and a donkey be available, that she may make the trip to Carmel. And her husband is perplexed. I don't think he has learned yet that the child has died. He obviously witnessed the child in the field with a head, a pain in his head. And the child cried, my head, my head. And the father had a lad take him home to his mother. And he died on her lap. And immediately she sought Elisha. And when she asked leave of her husband, uh, he said to her, but it's not new moon. And it's not Sabbath. What? Why now? That little question mark there, it gives us the clue that if it was Sabbath, she would be going. If it was a new moon, she would be going. Whenever worship was on, she went regularly. That was her habit. We see that she certainly outstrips her husband. He seems to be weak in faith if he believes in God at all. Uh, we see that she's the one who takes the leadership in befriending Elisha, providing for him, and now running to him in the time of need. It's all coming out of her own heart. And it's in this hour of crisis that she does what she always did. She sought the man of God, Elisha. Here is a, a little lesson for us. Our religion ought not to be built on the crises of life, not when we're in trouble, but we ought to be worshipers regularly. When it is the time for worship, we should be there. And so when trouble may come, we just do what we do. We call and cry out unto the Lord. This was a great test of her faith. And here was a woman who along the way had been fortifying her faith. She was building herself up in her faith. And when her faith was tried, now she was able to meet the test. Now, note her reply to her husband in verse 23. And she said, it shall be well. Now, when I read that first and read some commentary on it, the debate was on in my mind whether she was deceiving her husband, playing the whole thing down, or whether in reality she had the deep-down conviction that there would be a resurrection of her child. And the more I look at this and add in other information that comes up later, the more I am convinced that this woman really believed that there would be a resurrection of her son. Such was her faith. She was a believing woman. And she had the conviction, surely if God gave me this child, then surely he would not take him away. There has to be an answer. And for that, she pursued after Elisha.
Now, before we go to the end character reference on her, there's one other thing I want to point out. She was a winning woman. She was winning her husband. You will see how she honored him. She sought leave to take that trip to Carmel to find Elisha, and she was obviously submitting to her husband in all things that she could. And she says here in verse 22, send me, I pray thee, one of the young men. And as I mentioned, her husband doesn't seem to be very strong in spiritual things. He doesn't even perhaps understand what's in her heart, but she does honor her husband where she can. This reminds us of Peter's words, likewise ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. And here's an example of a woman who certainly is strong in faith. Her husband doesn't do much by way of faith, and she graciously, wisely wins her husband by doing what she can to honor him. So here's a model woman winning her husband. Thank you for staying tuned with us here on Let the Bible Speak. Today we're going to look again at why I do not like, I actually hate alcohol. We've had a number of reasons already, and we have seen uh, what it has done to Noah, Nadab, and Abihu, to Lot in the Bible. But I also hate the use of alcohol when I witness what it does to families and marriages in our time. Also, what you see happening in businesses that often go bankrupt because of the power and the influence of alcohol. The website Rehab International says that the long-term effects of alcoholism are similar to those experienced with other drugs. When alcohol is consumed on a moderate level, individuals may run the risk of developing liver disease, pancreatitis, esophageal, and other cancers. Alcoholism can also result in cardiovascular problems. These risks are increased when the patient stops drinking and begins to experience withdrawal symptoms. The symptoms could be severe, and in some cases could result in death. People who consume excessive amounts of alcohol will also have an increased risk of developing arthritis, cancer, heart disease, hyper- and hypoglycemia, kidney disease, obesity, nervous disorders, psychological disturbances, and malnutrition. Although some of the health problems associated with alcoholism are unfortunately irreversible, there is still time to get help before you see your good health slip away. The social effects of alcohol are also a reason to hate it. Aside from the many health effects caused by drinking, alcohol in excess, people struggling with alcoholism will also suffer negative social effects due to the disorder. They may begin to withdraw from positive relationships with family and friends and replace these with a new social circle that consists of other people with similar addiction issues. Interactions at work often become strained, 
If the patient can function well enough to continue coming into work, most lose their jobs early on in the development of alcoholism, and few manage to find another job or hold on to it for very long if they do. Maintaining a meaningful partnership or romantic relationship becomes almost impossible, and interactions with children fall to the wayside. Most people with alcoholism will experience major changes in their marriage and need therapeutic help if the marriage is to be saved. The alcoholic spouse may leave or demand divorce unless the alcoholic receives treatment. If children are involved, the addict may no longer be a part of their lives. In general, alcoholism is an isolating disorder, worsening as the patient loses close connections to everyone outside of their addiction world. Then there are the emotional and mental effects. Alcoholism poses a threat to every aspect of the addict's life, and their mental and emotional well-being is no exception. Many alcoholics experience unexplained mood swings, anxiety, severe depression, so suicidal thoughts and tendencies, angry outbursts, and even acts of violence. All of these things are caused by the changes that occur in the brain due to chronic alcohol abuse, according to the National Institute of Health. Because of the emotional issues surrounding the development of alcohol abuse and addiction, a number of other residual negative consequences can crop up for those prior to recovery. These include financial problems, medical issues, losing one's job, unable to pay bills, running into financial problems, leads to bankruptcy, foreclosure, unemployment, homelessness, if these results of alcoholism are left untreated. And so it's, it's cyclical. It just goes spiraled downwards. Legal issues, lost reputation, and lost opportunities. The lost opportunities are almost limitless when alcoholism is an issue. You're not going to get that job if you are suffering from alcoholism. You're not going to get that promotion. You're not going to get that person that you might be pursuing as a, a wife or husband. You're not going to keep that relationship and those around you will keep you at a distance because of your alcohol problem. It is a dreadful menace, and we need to be crying out that God will deliver this nation from the curse of alcohol. Never mind what it does to people's souls. Never mind what it does to people uh, who, due to dysfunction, cannot even read the Scriptures get down to pray and cry to God for grace. Oh, that we might seek the help of those who are under its influence and warn the rising generation against the evils of alcoholism. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.